Let us begin with the Gayatri prayer. Please join me in offering this most ancient and sublime invocation. Om. Let us meditate on the glory of that effulgent reality from whom the whole universe is projected. May that enlighten our mind. For just a few moments, let us become calm and subjective, practicing meditation with devotion and determination. In the prayer book, Prayers of Self-Realization, you will find this prayer, number 127, on page 162. Slowly and devotedly, together let us pray. Grant me the freedom to do good, for only in the performance of good deeds is the spirit of true freedom realized. Inspire me with wise determination and spiritual courage to cast off the shackles of selfishness, pride, egotism, and ignorance, that in freedom of soul I may manifest thy divinity in this world of thy creation. In thine 
infinite beneficence thou hast endowed me with thy perfection and power. The qualities of love, kindness, compassion, understanding, wisdom, revelation, contentment, and peace, and all other virtues of holiness. Thou hast given unto me in immeasurable abundance. Let me live in the glory of the attributes of thy transcendental self. The poor and destitute who are willing and eager to contribute their share of life and service for the common good of all, let me join my hands and heart with them in the devoted effort of their noble souls. By thy truth let me guide the ignorant who have lost their way in the desert of sensory hopes through the trackless sands of consuming misery, that they may come to the oasis of wisdom and bliss. Life is lost if soul is not consciously aware of thy ever-abiding companionship. Grant me the oneness of impersonal existence, that I may share the comradeship of thy love with every soul that comes to earth and departs to live anew. Amen. How can we make this life complete, a pure and living prayer, to make life sacred is to become a blessing to oneself and to others. Constantly living and working in harmony with the cosmic good. There is beauty in taking hold of a thought and lifting it up with transcendental vision. Today, let us meditate with this inspiration and bring into our being the breath of life. The more we feel attunement and harmony, the more deeply and evenly we breathe. There is a blessing in the air we share. Even in this time, when we wish to be together and cannot, when we depend on tools of communication that bridge the gap of space, and yet we deeply desire the human connection to share space, to breathe in the air of pure joy. Perhaps we might, in our time of daily meditation, breathe with this thought, of all beings, of all experiences of life and living. Breathe in the thought of God and breathe out the thought of creation. Breathe in the beauty of inspiration and breathe out the creative expression of life. Let our breath be 
a continuous and exalting exchange with the eternal breath of life. This is our pranayam. This practice of breathing revitalizes not only our physical being, but our mental, emotional, and spiritual being. It harmonizes our presence within and without. It calms us. It helps us to shine a light on that indwelling wisdom revealed to us only by the stillness of self-reflection. Our life depends on this breath. Our consciousness depends on this breath. Let us continually work to refine our habits of thought, our habits of breathing, and our habits of doing what will bring us supreme joy. By this joy, we are able to extend ourselves in service to God and to all beings. Think of each small yet wonderful act of thoughtfulness and love you encounter throughout each day. If a day proceeds when you don't encounter such a gracious act, carry out one simple act of kindness yourself, and you will see that your ripple in the stream of consciousness will ultimately be reflected in the ocean of perfection. There will be a positive effect. That small ripple of hope and love will influence all of existence, just as a single breath is an offering with the fullness of life. Each Sunday during our worship service, we join together in offering expressions of a universal ideal of absolute monism. These expressions, these eternal truths, have been gathered for us from the scriptures of humanity, from the Rig Veda and the Upanishads, from the Old and New Testaments of the Bible, the Quran and the Avesta. Please join me in offering these eternal truths. I am an absolute monist. I believe truth is one. Men call it by various names. God, Brahman, is consciousness, existence, bliss, absolute. Everything is the manifestation of God, the divine reality. The soul of man is of identical nature with the God of the universe. Make thine own self pure by good thoughts, good words, good deeds. Realize thyself by the realization of one's own self. The absolute self is realized. God is the light of the heavens and the earth. 
He who realizes God becomes one with God. I am that I am. I and my Father are one. I am Brahman, the Absolute Self. At this time, we will have selected scriptural passages offered by Katie Bauer. A reading from the second and third chapters of the Bhagavad Gita. To work is thy right, but thou hast no claim over the fruits of action. Let not thy action be inspired by the desire of its fruits, yet do not fall into inaction. Being absorbed in the love of God, perform action and remember that both success and failure are ultimately good. Be thou undisturbed. Inner calmness is yoga. Work with wisdom is yoga. The wise work with a spiritual vision for the good of all beings. All actions are performed by the gunas born of prakriti. Those who will practice action with a full heart of devotion, determination, and faith, they alone become free from attachment to all actions. And from the Noble Eightfold Path of the Buddha. Human life is a continuous process of self-unfoldment until peace, wisdom, and immortality are realized by virtue of one's own effort. The prerequisite for sending out radiation of peace is one's own living in poise, mental calmness, and transcendental vision. Action must bring peace to its performer, for the universal manifestation most surely carries within itself the power of peace. In meditation, prayer, study, service, in fact, in every sphere of life's activity and self-expression, one must try the utmost. If failure obstructs the path, do not be discouraged. Try again. Failures are facts of life in both the secular and spiritual endeavor. It is the effort and not always the achievement that counts. Every effort is in reality a given cause which in time is bound to produce its inevitable result. Will you please take the prayer book, Prayers of Self-Realization, and turn to prayer number 115, which may be found on page 150. Calmly and reverently, together, let us pray. O thou multipotent reality of the universe, grant me the power of soul to guide the will and desire of my mind and heart. Teach me to approach life with the loving kindness of my inner self. Let no consciousness of hatred nor sense of separation from my fellow beings enter my heart. Give me the spiritual strength that I may seek 
no personal gain or reward. Inspire me to make my life a dedication for the good of all. Bestow thy wisdom upon me, that I may live my sensory life with the inspiration and joy of my soul. Let me not confine the concept of existence to this life, nor of soul within this finite body. My life, love, and wisdom are boundless. These are the substance which forms my soul. Infinite is my soul. In the infinity of soul may I be inspired to live my daily life on earth with the realization of joyous oneness and universal peace. Amen. At this time, please join us in the singing of the hymn, Holy Spirit, Truth Divine. Join me in offering the prayer of devotion by Swami Yogananda Paramansa, the Guru Preceptor of our Church. Heavenly Father, may Thy love shine forever on the sanctuary of my devotion, and may I be able to awaken Thy love in all hearts. Om Peace. Amen. As human beings, we have much work to do. Our task in the early stages of our life is to learn and to grow, to develop ourselves into caring and wise individuals. Our work becomes an effort 
to shine the life of our inner growth through our thoughts, words, and deeds. And yes, there is the practicality of having to work, to work for our bread and for the care of our family. Today, we know so many who are losing their source of work. They still have obligations, but not necessarily resources. And we know of countless others who are challenged in simply the act of doing their work under strained conditions. Think of the doctors, nurses, and others working and sacrificing their own lives to care for the lives of others. Today, we are experiencing a change in how we work. Our work is not necessarily being done in the usual environment or in its usual way. And some aspects of our work may be forever changed. And yet, it is important to remember that how we work, not with what tools, but with what manner of thought we work, is what brings us meaning and fulfillment. It is what allows us to be fully human and fully creative. What is it about work that gives us a sense of fulfillment? To work, to do, to act, to be, to live. There is a philosophy of work, of manifesting ourselves fully. We need to project our intelligence, our life, and our love through every expression of our existence, physical, mental, and spiritual. None can escape this law of existence, of manifestation. This is the law of the origin, existence, and unfoldment of every individual life. Work, action, karma, creation, projection. These are the laws of existence. The work we do is a projection of our own holy vibration. Just as the entirety of creation is the projection of God's holy vibration. We always have an opportunity to create, to do good, to do good works, and to project noble qualities. We can work with what is always available to us, our inherent potential of wisdom and love. The law of karma recognizes that every expression of our wisdom, will, and love has both an individual and at the same time a universal effect. A thought that goes out from within one individual affects not only the life of that individual, 
but also influences the whole of creation. All activity is karma. Each expression of intelligence, will, and feeling within us is karma. Every action produces a reaction, a result. The Bhagavad Gita implores us not to worry over the results of our action. An action is a given cause. When the cause is given, its effect is inevitable. Therefore, the good action brings forth good results. Just as the biblical expression, the good tree bears good fruit. And in the words of St. Francis of Assisi, it is in giving of ourselves that we receive. Remember that the meaning of Kriya is effort. It is the giving of oneself unto the self of all. It is a work offered freely and purely to God. It is an offering of ourselves with devotion and with reverence. From the ninth chapter of the Gita, Krishna says to Arjuna, Whosoever with devotion offers me a leaf, a flower, a fruit, or water, I accept it as the devout gift of a pure heart. Whatever thou doest, whatever thou eatest, whatever thou offers as oblation, whatever thou gives as gift, and whatever soul's power thou pourest forth, do it as an offering unto me. Whatever work is done, whatever offering is given, if it is done with devotion and with a pure heart, it is divine. Do well what is in your power to do. By doing well that duty which is nearest to us, that duty which is in our hands to do now, we make ourselves stronger and more fit for service. Work that is done as an offering freely to God, to humanity, and to nature brings with it not a single sense of attachment. But what does that mean? What does it mean to work without attachment? We often think this means to work selflessly or voluntarily, yet we do have to work for some fruits of our labors, do we not? Such as when we labor for our bread, in Gandhiji's own words, bread labor. But to work without attachment means more. To work without attachment is not just to work without desire for the fruits of our work, 
consider this. Consider what happens when we can no longer do the work we have always done. Do we suffer in sorrow at this loss because we were so attached to our work that now we become morose without it? When our mental or physical condition changes and we can no longer do that which we most enjoyed, do we feel pained by our change of circumstance? How sad it is that so many feel so attached to the activity of work and yet have forgotten the meaning of work. The form itself is not the work. The immersion, the absorption into one's self is the true work. This is karma yoga. With such absorption, there is no room for attachment. There is no room for it because there is no longer any duality of thought. There is only the creator creating. The creator one with the created. Remember, non-attachment to work does not mean we should be inactive. It does not mean we should not work. We all need something to do. We all must act in some form or other. We read in the Bhagavad Gita that without the performance of action, none can attain tranquility and wisdom. Perfection is never realized by merely giving up activity. No one can ever exist even for a moment without performing action because the gunas, the qualities, born of prakriti, of nature, the qualities of nature force all to incessant activity. We cannot even exist for a moment without performing action. The drop in the ocean knows no rest. In the words of Gandhi, there may be momentary rest in store for the drop, which is separated from the ocean, but not for the drop in the ocean, which knows no rest. The same is the case with ourselves. As soon as we become one with the ocean in the shape of God, there is no more rest for us, nor indeed do we need rest any longer. Incessant activity in the oneness of God. In that oneness, there is no rest and there is no need for rest. To work. To work with detachment means we are no longer puffed up by our success or brought down by our failure. The work itself will have a result, and yet the result does not limit us. With detachment, we remain undisturbed by success or failure. 
This undisturbed state is a state of calm and equilibrium. By it, we are able to weather any storm. We are able to maintain our balance. This is karma yoga. When we work with pure concentration, losing our self within the self, we thus become completely immersed in our work, and our work inevitably produces a noble result. Such performance of work brings only good to the world. We know the various paths of Gana, Bhakti, Karma, and Raja Yoga. We might think of these aspects of yoga in terms of the head, heart, hands, and spirit. After all, yoga is a complete integration of body, mind, heart, and soul. Today, we are emphasizing the practice of karma yoga, a truly devotional offering. It is work as worship, action as yoga. Karma yoga is the remembrance of ideal in the performance of our action. Ideal and action must go together. Both must be qualitatively good. Our action not only affects our individual life, but it also influences the lives of others. As human beings, each of us has a sacred calling, a vocation. Our actions are meant to bring contentment to ourselves and to others. We realize ourselves through our work. The value of our work is spiritual. We fulfill the purpose of creation when we work with the consciousness of God's presence in all. That is spiritual service. Recall the words from Gandhiji. Ask yourself if the step you contemplate is going to be of use to another. Will he or she gain anything by it? Will it restore life? Will it lead to freedom for the hungry and the spiritually starving? As the Gita says, the doer of good never again follows the path of ignorance which leads to sorrow. Life must be cultivated so that the divine virtues of wisdom, self-mastery, peace, and joy may breathe freely through one's thoughts, actions, and feelings in all surroundings. Here again, the words from the Zendavesta. Make thine own self pure by good thoughts, good words, good deeds. And remember that every blade of grass, every planet, and every being contributes to the beauty and beneficence of life. Here, we come to the salt of the earth. Salt is essential for life. 
It gives life flavor. There is almost no place on earth that is without salt. It is a necessity of life. It has been used since ancient times as a seasoning, a preservative, a disinfectant, and even as a component of ceremonial offerings. Salt is a balanced compound. The sodium and the chloride of salt share electrons, giving and receiving. A grain of salt is a small but perfect thing. Salt is a microcosm for one of the oldest concepts of nature and the order in the universe. Similar to the yin and yang, to Shiva and Shakti, two opposing forces that find balance and completion. Salt was, to the ancient Hebrews, the symbol of the eternal nature of God's covenant. In the book of Numbers is written, It is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord. There is a tradition in Judaism of dipping bread in salt on the Sabbath. Bread is a symbol of food which is a gift from God, and dipping the bread in salt preserves it, keeping the covenant between God and humanity. Bread and salt, a blessing and its preservation. Bringing bread and salt into a new home is a tradition dating back to the Middle Ages. Ancient Egyptians, Greeks, and Romans included salt in sacrifices and offerings, and they invoked God with salt and water, which is thought to be the origin of the Christian holy water. In Christianity, salt is associated not only with longevity, and permanence, but by extension with truth and wisdom. The holy salt, sal sapiente, is known as the salt of wisdom. From the Old Testament in the book of Leviticus is written, Every offering of your grain offering you shall season with salt. You shall not allow the salt of the covenant of God to be lacking from your grain offering, with all your offerings you shall offer salt. The Bible, of course, contains numerous references to salt. In various contexts, it is used to signify loyalty, fidelity, value, purification. The phrase, the salt of the earth, comes from the Bible in the book of Matthew. Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot. Interesting to note that in the first century, houses were often built with upper rooms where the guests could stay for a night or two. These rooms usually had floors made of wood, which had a special mix of plaster laid over them. Now, ordinary plaster used for building structures like walls was too soft for floors since it was prone to peeling and cracking, 
but adding salt to the plaster made it hard enough to withstand the usual wear and tear. However, when salt was added to a floor, it rendered the mineral impure and no longer able to fulfill its role as a seasoning agent. In such a state, it was then only good enough to be walked on. In the book of Mark, we read, Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Here, salt refers to goodwill that seasons positive relationships between people. This also relates to the covenant of salt, indicating friendship and compassion. If we say that someone is the salt of the earth, we generally mean that they are good and honest. For the salt of the earth flavors and blesses life. And actions from such a person bless us all. There is a tradition that loyalty and friendship are sealed with salt because its essence does not change. Even when dissolved into liquid, salt can be evaporated back into square crystals. This perhaps reminds us of the story from the Chandogya Upanishad when the father instructs his son in understanding the self. Believe it, my son, that which is the subtle essence, in it all that exists has itself. It is the true. It is the self and you, Svetagetu, are it. Please, sir, inform me still more, said the son. Be it so, my child, the father replied. Place this salt in water and then wait on me in the morning. The son did as he was instructed. The father said to him, bring me the salt which you placed in the water last night. The son, having looked for it, found it not, for of course it had dissolved. The father said, taste it from the surface of the water. How is it? The son replied, it is salty. Now taste it from the middle. How is it? The son replied, It is salty. Now taste it from the bottom. How is it? And again, the son replied, It is salty. The father said, Throw it away and then wait. He did so, but the salt exists forever. Then the father said, here also in this body, you do not perceive the true, my son, but there indeed it is. That which is the subtle essence in it, all that exists has itself. It is the true, it is the self, and you, Sveteketu, are it. And as this passage in the book of Matthew in the Bible continues, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a bushel basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to God. Our good works 
are the karma yoga of our life. Immersing ourselves within the self, the subtle essence of all that exists as the salt in the water. God bless us. And I thank you for your continued gift and offerings, support and love for your church, now and always. Amen. Will you all now please fold your hands and place them at your hearts with consciousness lifted to the supreme self of us all. Together let us pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. Grant us, O Lord, the realization of thy presence, peace, and perfection within us and all beings, now and forevermore. Amen.